Uh, when there, th- th- this homeschooling parent, she was, she was talking to herself, and someone was like, well, w- why are you talking to yourself? She said, sorry, excuse me, I'm having a parent-teacher conference right now. Uh, Susan, do you ever feel like that? You have a parent-teacher conference <laughs> every day. Uh, you know, I don't, as- I don't ask whether people talk to themselves or not. I just assume everyone does. Uh, I know I certainly do. And I don't know how you operate, but I have, most of what I say to myself actually has to be like motivational speeches, okay? Uh, and that's, what they, that's what it's always been. Uh, before, before I would jump off the diving board, I'd have to be like, Brian, you can do this. You got this. Uh, before, uh, before any music concert I would play, before any sports event I would have. I mean, I, it was, in fact, it got so bad in high school, I would have to listen to, to a particular set of 70s music to help get me in, in some motivation of what was going on. I don't know if you guys operate like that. I won't ask whether you do or not. Uh, I always have. So, so uh, e- when running a race, my mind goes crazy. In fact, there's this book that I read when I was co- in college. It was called The Inner Game of Tennis. And it was so helpful because if you've ever played tennis, it's like you have one bad point and it's the only thing you can think about. And you can't even concentrate on serving for the next point because all you can think about is, that was a bad call, or man, how come you didn't get after that ball, right? So, so I read this book, The Inner Game of Tennis, uh, to help me stay focused and motivated so it wouldn't throw off my game. Uh, it wasn't all that helpful, though. I wonder, what do you do, though? What, what do you do in life when it is so stressful that you, that you can't focus, but not only that you can't focus, that you don't even have an appetite to for food because life is so hard. What do you do when there is so much distress in your life that you cannot even sleep? Well, I think that's what Psalm 42 is helpful with. It, it points us to how we can hope in God even in the midst of troubling days. And so our goal today is to see how Psalm 42 instructs our hearts to hope in God. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Psalm 42. Um, that's where we're at. We're, this summer, we're in the summer of the Psalms in book two, and we're focusing on different highlights, highlighted Psalms in book two of the Psalms uh, that, that generally are like, hey, life is really hard, but God is good, and we can hope in him even when life is super hard. And so we keep seeing this theme week after week, but it's so good for our souls. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Inside your bulletin, in the sermon notes, there should be Psalm 42 in all the verses there. We're going to be looking at that for the next section together. But we're also doing our verse of the series, a verse that will help us in troubling days focus on the goodness of God. So let's, say all, let's all say that together. It's inside your bulletin, but it'll be up here on the screens as well. Uh, this is Psalm 71, verse 20. Let's all say that together. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. What a good hope that is. Let's pray for our time in God's word. Lord, we ask that as we look at Psalm 42, that it would be instructive for us, that it would be admonishing where we need to be admonished, it would show us your grace in places we need to see your grace. Lord, that it would encourage us who are faint-hearted. Lord, that it would help us who feel weak. And Lord, we pray that 
that it would be good for all of us this morning. And we pray that your spirit would be at work. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me give you a roadmap, and then we're going to just kind of break it down and read it kind of as we go along. Here's what I hope that we walk away with with Psalm 42 this morning. When life is too overwhelming to even eat, go to God in hope and remember his steadfast love in Christ. That's what I hope we walk away from this morning, is that when life is too overwhelming to even eat, Go to God in hope and remember his steadfast love in Christ. And so we're going to look at how that Psalm 42, we see a desperate plea that's going on. We see a helpful remembrance in verses 4 to 6. And then we see hope in suffering in this third part of Psalm 42. Let me read the first section for us, the first three verses. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So let's look at this desperate plea. If you've ever been near or around larger animals that have been working hard and and watching their bodies uh, breathe heavily, you you know exactly what this psalmist is talking about as this deer pants for flowing streams, right? You can can see this, this large animal body just heaving for every single breath after it's been working hard, needing refreshment. If you guys remember that the 80s worship song, As the Deer, do you guys remember that song? It's like this really nice and calm, sweet, soft, cuddly singing hymn that makes you just feel like you're in a cuddly, warm blanket, right? As the deer panteth for the water. And the problem is that that's, that's not really what's going on here in Psalm 42. It, it isn't nice and cuddly. It isn't soft and warm. It's desperate. It, it's desperate for God. Desperate to commune and spend time with God. And I think to some extent, it's hard for us to understand how this feels, right? In in that time of human history, the only right place to worship God was at the temple. And and most Jewish families didn't have copies of the Old Testament that that was just sitting on their bookshelf. Today, I think Christians take for granted the reality that the veil in the temple that separated the holy God and sinful humanity was torn at the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we have access to God in a way that's way better than anyone had in the Old Testament. And so when we are desperately wanting to know the comfort of God, friends, actually, we, all we have to do is open up the pages of the Bible. And we can meditate on the very revelation of God himself that brings hope and comfort. But the writer in Psalm 42, he is so displaced from God, he's desperate to commune with him again. Well, Christians, let us never let dust grow on the covers of our Bibles because we simply don't take time to open and read and commune with God. 
Don't let our gatherings on Sunday morning be the only time that we crack open God's word. Friends, if our souls are panting for God, desperate for the living water to refresh us, well, I think that usually means that it's because we've used up all of the living water that we have. And so we've been working ourselves so hard, our hearts are pumping so hard, uh, we can't take slow, deep breaths in God. So this summer, Austin and his family were watching uh, the, the chickens at the Moffat house, and there was one particular day that was really hot, and, and one of my chickens was panting really hard. It looked like he was choking on something, okay? Austin was so distressed about it, he calls a vet over a dumb chicken, okay? He took this video of my chicken panting, and he's like, Brian, this doesn't look good, man. I don't know what to do here. But it was desperate for water and rest. It was painful to watch this video. I wonder what type of situation it is. Did it live? It, it lived. He was fine. He was hatching an egg. That's all it was doing. That's all it was doing. Leave it to city folk to watch chickens, I tell you. What type of situation is it? <laughs> what type of Sorry, Austin. I wasn't trying to hit on you, man. Uh, it was the example of the panting chicken. That's what it was meant to be. I wonder what type of situation it is when people say, I'm really missing you. I'd really like to get time with you. Isn't it when, when we've been away from that person for a while? When we've been missing that person? Not right after you've come back from a two-week vacation. You don't normally say, man, I've just been really missing time with you. No, our souls thirsting for the living God means that we've exhausted ourselves in experiencing God and need more. But friends, I think it's a good call for us we should, as believers who have put our hope in God. Friends, see the call to thirst for the living God. I wonder what you are, not just physically, but, but what you desire most this morning in your lives. I'm convinced that the times I don't have a strong desire for God are the times that I don't think I need God all that much. Of course, I'd never say that out loud. But what is actually practically happening in my heart is exactly that. I think sometimes one of the blessings of God in our lives is when difficult things happen because then it is easy to see our need for God, isn't it? It's easy to cry out to God when things are a mess. Faking it doesn't work, but genuinely and fully pleading with God to refresh our hearts and souls. Friends, I think this summer, uh, one of the most helpful things that, that I have found every single morning that, to help me see my desperate need for God is actually just to sing this, this song called, Lord, I Need You. Every hour, it says, every hour I need you. My righteousness, oh God, how I need you. It says, when sin runs deep, your grace is more. And where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. So friends, I think we need to follow the pattern of Psalm 42 and thirst for the living God. Have you guys ever been so loudly confident about something only to have it thrown in your face later? I think that's kind of how the psalmist is feeling. 
And not everything is good in the psalmist's life, as we see in verse 3. He's in this desperate spot. He's been vocal about his confidence in God. And now that something difficult is happening, and people are taunting him about his trust in God. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? And so his desperate state is so bad, he's panting for God. But also that he can't even eat. He's lost his appetite for food. Friends, I think depression is something that can feel like that. Like we can't breathe. Like there are, these days are going to go on forever with no end in sight. Like we have no appetite for food. No hope for change in our circumstances. It can make the best of us not sleep well and not eat well. And notice in verse 3 how he says his tears have been his food day and night. But it's in this situation that actually pretty instructive for us. In the midst of his crisis, he's longing for God. Friends, I think we need to see this morning that there is not a hurt in this world that is so bad that you cannot take it to God. People are mocking him in his pain, much like Job was mocked, much like Jesus was mocked, right, on the cross. People spoke evil to him, and yet Jesus continued to cry out to God. So friends, when you have suffered great hurt, long for God, not simply for the hurt to just go away. We want to have the situation to go away, oftentimes, we want the problem to just go away. But, but the psalmist is pleading for God. He's longing for God. He longs to know the closeness of God in his desperation, not simply for the situation to stop. It's entirely possible that the crisis isn't random, but the very tool that God is using to grow his trust in his people. The difficult boss or difficult neighbor, brothers and sisters, those are not people to run from, but to trust God in the midst of. As God's children, we can have confidence that if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, that he has adopted us into his family, that God's protective and watchful eye is on us, Christian. And so in the midst of suffering, we can know the care of God and we can seek God's comfort even while we go through trials. So friends, when life is too overwhelming even to eat, we need to go to God in hope and remember his steadfast love in Christ. Let's look at verses four through six, this helpful remembrance that he has. Here's what the passage says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Well, here's a helpful remembrance that the psalmist is doing. 
right? Nothing clouds the mind like distress in life. When, when distress comes upon you, it's hard to think straight. And so we quickly become hypersensitive to things that normally wouldn't even give us any trouble. So for example, if you're like me, when I'm lost and I'm looking for the right street to turn on or I'm, I'm looking for the right house, uh, I have to turn down the radio. Anyone else like that? The radio has nothing to do with, I, I can't concentrate and I'm stressed out because I can't get to the right house. That happened on the way to the McEwen's last night. I turned wrong three times. Uh, uh, I, I, it's too much for me to be able to concentrate on what I'm doing, and I hate being lost. And so the last thing I want to do is make some silly mistake and miss the road while I'm jamming out to my jams, you know? And so even when it's something more distressing than in being lost in a car, if we're able to remember something in the midst of the stress, it needs to be that there are times that it didn't used to be so hard. So the writer of Psalm 42 does something really similar in verse 4. He says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festival. So the writer of the psalm is pouring out his soul to God and he's remembering better days. Days when his confidence in God was soaring up in the sky. He remembers the days when he used to lead people to the worship of the greatness of God. And so he's remembering that life hasn't always been so difficult. And it seems to only be a season. He says these things in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And in this case, the psalmist is doing some really helpful things in fighting his distress. The situation is so rough, his soul is downcast or he is depressed, but he is putting his situation in the context of the living God. His circumstances haven't necessarily changed yet, but he remembers of great days with God in the past. In verse 6, he says the same thing. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. So friends, when you are cast down in your soul, when you have turmoil within you, remember the faithful works of God before this point. So when you're feeling broken down, remember the first time you understood the gospel when it clicked for the first time in your mind and how happy you were to know God for the very first time. Remember that time when you were baptized and how excited you were to take that step of growing in faith and following God. Remember the other times of distress when you cried out to God and he answered your prayers better than you could have imagined. Remember when the Lord saw you through that other difficult moment. Remember the prior faithful works of God when you feel depressed and distressed. And so if you cannot recall the faithful moments of God in your past, well, friends, we have a whole book that records the history of God's faithfulness. Open up the scriptures to remember the faithfulness of God in the past with his people. And so a great place to start in doing that 
is to start with the life of Abraham, a guy who's a big screw-up that God keeps giving grace to time and time again. And we can pick up and read of the faithfulness of God from his very word. So for example, it's not by accident that the famous Christian Augustine learned of the faithful love of God towards him when he decided to pick up and read the Bible. There's a reason why hearing and reading the word of God brings faith and trust in God. The writer of Psalm 42 uh, preaches to himself also about the goodness of God in verse 5. Look at that with us. He says this, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He reminds himself of the greatness of God. God is our salvation, and he's not just a God, but he is our personal God. Look how the psalmist says, my God. And so God is our salvation because we can't save ourselves. God is our salvation because he alone delivers and rescues. God is not distant, he is close. Friends, think of how important the title of Jesus is. One of the titles is Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. So God is with his people. He's not distant. And so trusting in God isn't an accidental reality. It's a hard-fought reality. It is hard-fought with our minds dwelling on the good truths of God. Trusting in God is something that takes deliberate and intentional reclaiming of the truth of God again and again and again. But notice something important in our passage. He tells himself to hope in God, but it's obvious he doesn't really feel like it. You know, I think so often we think we should only do something when we think our hearts are in it also. We want our hearts to be on the same page as our brains, but it doesn't always work that way. Some people make the mistake and think that they shouldn't do something unless their hearts are in it. I think our hearts often follow our minds and, and what we brand onto our brains. So placing our hope in God when it doesn't feel easy is exactly the time that we need to place our hope in God. We need to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts when it doesn't make sense to our own understanding. So hoping in God, brothers and sisters, doesn't happen only when things are good, but also when times are hard. Right? It's easy to claim that we have hope in God when everything is easy peasy. When there's money in the bank and there's no major issues in life. But true hope in God is revealed when money is tight when trouble comes, when you've been wronged, and when people are coming after you. When trouble comes, we don't destroy the friendly comfort of mistaking it for unfriendly fire. But because we have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers, we can then think of things that are true and honorable and excellent and worthy of praise and can continue to trust in the God of our salvation. The third thing that the psalm the psalmist does for us, that Psalm 42 models for us when we are in distress, is that it promises that there are better days ahead. So the perspective on suffering 
is that it won't last forever, verse 5 says. Notice how he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. You guys remember that praise song? For sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Trouble doesn't rain. God does, and in him there is eternal life. The psalmist looks forward to a better future, and so should we. So when you're cast down, remember that this isn't the end of your days. The best days for Christians are never behind us. They are always ahead of us. That's why Paul calls us to forget what lies behind and to strain forward for what is coming ahead. The good old days of Christianity doesn't exist in your life or mine. We have not attained all that God has for us. Your best days, brothers and sisters, are not behind you. They are ahead of you still. Our best days as a church are not behind us. They are ahead of us. No matter what issues we are facing right now that seem to take over your heart and mind and soul and brings turmoil to your soul, we can say this, hope in God for we shall again praise him. And so in the darkest of days, with Jesus, the night that he was betrayed and arrested and abandoned in Mark chapter 14, Jesus who's in the garden, about to be betrayed, praise the very words of Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Isn't that interesting? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why is there turmoil within me? These are the very words that Jesus was praying the night that he was betrayed. It was a dark time, but it ended in a glorious resurrection. Do you realize that Jesus has already paid our debts, Christians, and has secured our glory with him? Jesus did it by going to the cross to die for our rebellion against God and him giving us his righteousness through faith. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, confirming his defeat of sin and death. And so the most glorious days ahead of us is when our resurrection will be like his, when we will no longer have this failing body, but we will be transformed into a glorious body like his, and we will celebrate in glory with him. That is a better future than anything this world holds or offers. Friends, if, if you're not a Christian here this morning, what hope of the future do you have? How do you know things will just get better? Wouldn't you want instead to have a certainty that there is a future ahead of you that you could look forward to? Well, we know that this life is not ice cream sundays. There's real heartache. And yet we can have confidence the same confidence of Psalm 42 that even in the darkest of trials, there is great hope in God. And that happens when Jesus is our Savior, when we turn from our sin and place our hope in Him. 
If that is something, if you're not a believer, if that's something that you want, come find me after the service. I'd love to talk about that with you. Friends, when life is too overwhelming to even eat, go to God in hope and remember his steadfast love in Christ. Let's look at this last part of Psalm 42, verses 7 through 11, this hope in suffering. Here's what the psalmist writes. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, friends, 42, Psalm 42 does not reach a, a powerful resolution. We don't see that the situation has changed, but it does represent hope in the midst of distress. The psalmist describes his situation as if a terrible storm has overtaken him, that he has drowned at the bottom of the sea. We have people today who love the ocean and study marine biology, but in those days, water was a terrifying place. It was deep, it was unknown, and it was a major symbol of fear. So, so in verse 7, the calling out to deep, it, it sounds super spiritual, but it's actually most likely a description of, a, of the deathly forces that are so overwhelming the psalmist that it's crashing down the waters of death upon him. So the psalmist feels like the enemy is winning, which is why he's desperate for God in the first place. And what does he do? He continues to remind himself of who God is. So verse 8 reminds us that the Lord doesn't just have love, but he commands with power and purpose his steadfast love. And we can pray to God who upholds our very lives. That that phrase, steadfast love, is really talking about God's covenant love. And so if you're a Christian here today, you're not under the covenant of Moses. You are under the covenant of Jesus, the new covenant. It was made by the blood of Jesus being poured out for us. And so God does not break his covenant. He is covenant faithful. He is faithful with his covenant towards us in his actions towards us. But you can feel the pull in both directions in Psalm 42, can't you? His heart is in turmoil, so he knows what's true in his head, that God is his rock, and he also knows what he's experiencing in life, and they feel like they are polar opposites, don't they? He describes God in verse 9 as, as his rock, that he believes is his steady, unmovable, and steadfast love of God, but then he believes that the love of God is moved, that it isn't there, that it's ignoring him. So he says in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? 
And so I think it's a fair question for us to ask this morning, is God the rock absent? Have you ever thought you knew something to be true about God, but your experience of that moment seemed to contradict it? Have you ever been in a time when you knew the steadfast love of God was at work in your life, but it just didn't feel like it? It's almost as if it wasn't even present. Well, friends, I think that might make us nervous to say because we're trained to know the truth about God, that he is our rock, that he is steadfast, that he is God of our lives. And yet we don't always feel like it. We can feel alone or abandoned or just not much of anything of God going on in our lives. And so what do we say? We say, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, God hasn't abandoned you. Though it doesn't feel like it right now, God is with you. His steadfast love is at work in your life and will continue to press on. And so you need to continue to press on because one day again, you will experience the joy of God. In fact, actually, I think it'd be helpful right now to awkwardly look at someone around you. Yep, honestly, I want you to look at your neighbor right now and say to him or her, here's what I want you to say. Remember that God is not absent. God hasn't abandoned you. God will keep his covenant love to you. Friends, that is true. That's what Psalm 42 is saying to us. So the psalmist finishes the psalm not in anguish and distress, but with the reminder of his glorious future with God in verse 11. This is a little bit repetitive, which isn't bad. It's helpful because even while our minds say something, our hearts usually take a little bit longer for it to come around. Right? How often I say to my children, you can trust me. You can listen to my words. You can trust me. I've taken care of you thus far. I'm not going to let you fall now. And yet, how much do their legs shake when they're trying to jump off into the pool into my arms? Right? Oh, that we would listen to our Heavenly Father's words, that we can trust Him, that we need to listen to Him, and we can trust Him even when we are afraid, even when there is anguish in our souls. How much we as the children of God need to remember the faithful work of God in the past. How we need to remember God's covenant love towards us and our glorious future with him. We cannot remind our hearts enough of those truths. So friends, in times of depression, read the gospel, hear the gospel, and speak the gospel to yourself. When food has no taste and you know it's not from COVID but from heartache, remember Jesus has come by God's good plan. Remember that Jesus has died for our sins. Remember that he defeated the grave. Remember that God is the only one we can rest upon and fix our eyes for our glorious future with him in glory. When life is too overwhelming, to even eat, 
go to God in hope and remember his steadfast love in Christ. Friends, in every distress, we have a choice. Will I be consumed by the situation in front of me or will I go to the greatness of God in trusting him? Will I fix my eyes on what is temporarily difficult, as hard as it seems? Or will I remember of the glorious future I have in him, secured by Christ? Friends, let us remember the steadfast love of God in Christ beyond our present sufferings. Let's spend a few moments responding to God's word We never want to be hearers of God's word only. We always want to respond to God's word in faith. And so let's spend a few moments doing that. You're welcome to come and and pray at the front if you'd like. You're welcome to, to pray right where you're at, but you're not welcome to not respond to God's word. Let us all respond to God and ask, Lord, how do I need to exercise greater trust in you with this circumstance? And I'll close us in prayer. The, The band will lead us in another song. And, and we'll conclude the service. But let's spend some time responding to God this morning. Heavenly Father, forgive us for forgetting of the things that you've done for us in the past. Heavenly Father, forgive us for not remembering your steadfast love and your secured future with us, our secured future with you. Lord, forgive us for forgetting your steadfast love. But God, thank you for it. Thank you that indeed you have your careful, loving hand and watchful eye over us. That even if we are taunted by where is your God, even when we feel cast down in our souls, Lord, help us to hope in you. For there is no better place to place our hope. There is no one else who saves No one has the power to save but your name. God, thank you that you are a mighty tower, that you are a shelter like no other. Oh God, remind us of that in times of distress and help us to actively trust you in those times.